Squawking Dead, a podcast pulverizing episodes of the Walking Dead universe. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times we go deep. And today we deep into Walking Dead World Beyond's penultimate series finale episode titled Death in the Dead, which is actually a Thomas Mann quote. The quote is, I will keep faith with death in my heart, yet I will remember that, yeah, let's be morbid, yet I will remember that faith with death and the dead is only wickedness and dark voluptuousness and enmity against humankind, if it is given power over our thought and contemplation. For the sake of goodness and love, man shall let death have no sovereignty over his thoughts. And with that, I wake up. So he talks about, and I I tried to figure this out. I'm like, I'm trying to rush for notes. I'm trying to figure this out at the same time. I'm having a hard time. But uh, the first part is I, I I keep faith with death in my heart. Yet I will remember that faith with death and the dead is only wickedness and dark voluptuousness uh, and enmity against humankind. So it's a response to what Jada says to Leo in the last episode, if I'm not mistaken. He says, she says to him, it's about, it's about life, doctor. But really what Jadis is talking about is fear of death. The fear of death makes us do horrible things. And what Thomas Mann is saying is, don't let the fear of death make you not embrace living. You know, and so he says, um, for the sake of goodness and love, man shall let death have no sorrow sovereignty over his thoughts. And with that, I wake up. And I, I, I love this context because the CRM talk as though it's all about life, doctor. Death over life, you know? And then she, t- she says it's about, and death wins, right? And it's like, but that's if you believe that you are the last light, you know? It's like, it doesn't have to be all you. It goes to what Elton says about the endlings, right? Season one. He says, you know, I don't want to go out not having seen what the rest of this world has to offer. You know, if we're going to go out, I want to go out in a bang. You know, I want to go out knowing things. I want to go out seeing beauty. I want to go out seeing the world as it is instead of through books and stuff like that. The CRM is almost like a meta, they're like a meta villain in the sense that like, oh, we're here to tell you that this whole show was supposed to be about beauty in the darkness. I don't think so. (laughs) It's about survival, doctor. And so there's, they're like a larger than life enemy to respond to what the kids were out there to do kind of see the crm as being death in that quote especially when you said like the dark darkly voluptuous is there anything better to describe the crm than (laughs) yeah darkly voluptuous with death and just caught my ear yeah with death and the dead is only wickedness and dark voluptuousness and enmity against humankind so that is the crm they are death which is the response to leo saying becoming the monster to get rid of the to rid the world of monsters so we have to become death in order to ensure life in fear of death we become death right this this kind of weird thing where like you become the monster of your own making making as a result of you trying to protect life rather than living it i say that i only mentioned this quote because it really was a head scratcher for uh, for a second and then i i figured out the last second i'm like oh god i have to share it now before it disappears from my brain (laughs) that's why i had to bring it up first all right it's not our usual style of opening the show but well i want to start with um huck at the end and how much i'm feeling for her right now we see her you know with her guns pointed at jadis and then jadis runs off and saves mason and then huck gets in the jeep and she's uh driving away and we see her immediately start crying i think she's having a moment where everything is really catching up with her maybe before now she thought she was doing the right thing but she really wasn't she still wasn't super sure she was 
trapped between her friends and the CRM and wanting to believe that the CRM is doing good, even if they have to do bad to do good. But I think when we see her breaking down in the Jeep, I think it all kind of came crashing at her. Like, I've been wrong this whole time I was wrong about them. And I I think it really hurt her. I mean, how could it not, right? I mean, not only did the CRM lie to her, but her own mother lied to her. And I think we're seeing that really sink in for her. And it just, it broke my heart to see her like that. It doesn't help that until now, uh, Kublik has been indefinitely wished away into the cornfield. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Not resigned, but like, you know. She'll be away indefinitely. Reassigned. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always ominous because Mm -hmm. what does that mean usually? So is she alive? Did they send her to reprogramming or whatever? Yeah. The cornfield. He's getting (laughs) barked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Clever title on the clip, by the way. He's all barked, no bite. I mean, it's, it was right there, right? It was like, yeah. you just have to find the right context. I put a lot of thought into the clip titles when I'm, when I'm doing them. Like, that's my favorite part. That's why I love them so much. They're like my little babies, little little titles, little clip titles. It's like your chance to kind of shine. And of course, I'm seeing a lot of sharing your personality in the clips. So it's great. It's weird that up until now, right, Rachel? Like up until now with everything she's had to face up to that now is the time she chooses to kind of go against the CRM, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And maybe it hits harder because I, at a lot of points throughout this episode, I still remember like there are like little signs of like her going against her brothers back when, her origin story. And I keep thinking to myself, what is the struggle she's having throughout these episodes? What is, why is she not breaking down? What is she, what fart, I'm going to say this out loud, she, what fart is she holding in this entire time? Right? What is it that, that keeps her contained? She, we see her go through a lot. Like, especially when she flashes back to her washing up at Omaha's shores as Huck. Uh, and then, but at the end of that episode, flashing back to when they had to break her arm. And Kublik is, her mom is holding her arm as the soldier breaks it, right? Uh, if, if somebody's going to wreck your world, it should be me. I should be the one to guide that. And again, she does, she, does, she, she lets out maybe a tear, but she kind of quickly bottles it up. And, and then, you know, throughout everything that's happening. But now she chooses. Her crying now gives context to all the time she bottled it up. Because I think up until now, she knew what she had to do. She repressed that, well, maybe to parallel Victor in the last episode we covered just hours ago. Victor went is the kind of person that goes with his gut. He just lets it fly. You know, he just trusts it all the way. Doesn't question it, whatever it is. Huck up until now, did not trust her gut. She knew the difference between right and wrong. She was trained otherwise. But up until now, she I think she's been repressing the, the notion of helping these people, doing knowing what she needed to do this whole time, but telling herself, no, these guys are the light of the world. This is what I was trained to do. But her guts are telling her, no, but this is wrong. This is dumb. What are you doing? What are you doing? So up until now, she's like, I, I can't believe I had to do what I had to do. I can't believe I had to do it again, let's say. So it's kind of a weird letting go again. And it's sad, too, like that she felt like she has to do this again to brothers in arms, right? To make a funny from that moment. 
that moment is a, an interesting symmetrical pa- parallel to the beginning of the first season when Felix and Huck are Felix and Huck again and are driving through, you know, they're meeting Kublik for the first time from, from the chopper and they're plowing through the empties on the road. Do you remember that? And here she is now wiping tears away. But then I noted, I'm like, oh, there's, go- okay, she's running, okay, she's running over walkers in a Jeep again. Okay. And she's having not fun, a whole lot of not fun. So it's, I thought that was kind of an interesting, funny to bring it back. The only reason why I remember that was because she was pulling up to the culling and maintenance facility and like her headlights were red. I'm like, why, why are these it's like an evil Jeep? And I'm like, oh, she plowed through a lot of dead to get to where she got. Um, evil Jeep. I personify my Jeeps. I would like to talk about Mason. Okay. That's an interesting nugget. Okay. So here's, here's my thing. Ugh. Every, you know, Kublik is supposed to sacrifice her daughter for the greater good. And Leo was supposed to sacrifice his daughter for the greater good. But yet the CRM Hope, is giving up everything. Yeah. Okay. Or even Iris, because Iris wasn't supposed to go with him. She was going to be at Campus Colony when it got taken out if she hadn't run away. Everybody's supposed to sacrifice their children or whatever. But yet the CRM basically was willing to give up everything that they were doing to get Mason back. Mm. They were going to let them go over Mason. That's what the, you know, you bring up a very good point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, you're right. That is yeah. interesting. You caught me off guard on this one because I didn't really think about having to address this at all. Now that you, I, I didn't even think about this before now, but now that you bring that up, I also find it strange that we never actually hear from Major General Beale while his son is being held hostage. Like you'd think mm-hmm. he would radio in and be like, where's my boy? Blah, blah, blah. Maybe he doesn't even, what if he doesn't even know? Well, that's easy. About his son. I'll say that. I'll say that's easy. The only reason why is because Jadis is looking at her manifest and sees that Major General Beale, oh, sorry, Mason General Beale is on board <laughs> and is scurrying away. Of course, Major General Beale doesn't know. And of course, Jadis is the one who has to report it. So if you were Jadis, would you uh, report that they have Ma- Mason General Beale? Kind of like why Strand, remember when Strand wouldn't tell Virginia that Dakota was gone until he mm-hmm. found her? It's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. right? You, you want to make, you yeah. want to cover all your base. You don't want to re- early report that, hey, I fucked up and no, but I got her back. She seems all right, you know, Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> or tell them, tell them you got, you know, tell them about the the situation after you've resolved it. Yeah, exactly. It looks <laughs> a lot better, right? Or, yeah. Well, it's yep. it's not better, but it's better than saying, hey, I lost your boy, but I'll get him <laughs> right back. Don't you worry, okay? Yeah. Mason General Beal is in Major General Beal's good hands. But maybe, maybe Rachel's question is a response to your question. Like, okay, maybe what's good for the goose isn't what's good for the gander. Maybe Jadis feels like banking on the fact that Major General Beale will uphold to the CR's overall principles. Maybe she doesn't feel like it's it's up to her. I, <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I'm just it's, saying. Jadis got where she got to make moves. You know? Considering they expect everybody else to sacrifice the people that they love, it's pretty hypocritical that they're willing to sacrifice everything the CR research facility is doing to save Mason. I would say yes, but the only reason why I'm starting to understand why that makes... Because that is a really great question. But you be Jadis and try to explain to Mason... Ma- Mason God, Major General <laughs> Beale. I like calling him Mason General Beale, whatever. Yeah, but, um, I mean, hey, this is... But no, but you're right. The, light, the last light of the world. You, you're going to let you're gonna let the last light of the world be extinguished for some kid? For your son. But you know, that's the irony, isn't it? 
But you see, and the problem is also that it's in Jadis's hands. So Jadis is is talking a big game, telling everybody the, the, the premise of this story or the other side of the premise of this story. And yet she holds it all up for one person, right? One person. So she's full of shit, right? You you are you're right. You you've you've in you saying this, she, you've proven the CRM completely wrong. And in fact, there's a good sim- symmetry. A good symmetrical parallel to what you're saying right now to what Silas decides to do for Dennis. Is we got to make a pit stop. Let's pick up antibiotics for Dennis. And then Felix goes ahead and for one person. And then and then Elton says, hey, there's saline. Let me give that for, let me get that for Indira. That'll come in later on in the next episode. But, you know, case in point. To bring fear back up again, that was the one thing they said about Jenny was she would not go out of her way for one person when they yep. were trying to get medicine for Grace or fluids for grace. Right. They made a point right. of saying that. Virginia was like, but then you made a detour to save a woman who's dying. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So Virginia was basically like CRM light. <laughs> if, if it was CRM Star Wars, white claw. it'd be like CRM Rogue One, <laughs> right? Oh, you're, yeah, maybe. Like the CRM Zima. <laughs> the Bartles and James. <laughs> to put a fine point on it, you what you what you just... And I didn't re- I totally didn't see that coming. What you just said negates everything that the CRM stands for. Everything. And, you know, you can't blame Jadis because that's kind of above her pay grade. Like, okay, I know what the CRM is all about. However, I like my job. <laughs> <laughs> she wants that promotion. And, and how ironic, too. How ironic. Mm-hmm. You have Jada's concerned with her own self, her own, I mean, technically, you know, her own self-interest. Now, here comes the devil's advocate. And of course, Jada's feels like she, she has to do what she has to do because... Of course, she wants to be there at the forefront of the last light of the world. What good is it if I lose my job, if I if I lose my position in trying to achieve the last light of the world? All that's going to be lost because I let a kid get killed. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know if she's ready to. Maybe she's not ready to sacrifice herself on the on that altar too. At the same time, right? To make the hard call to let Mason Beale die. It's a very interesting wrestling conundrum. One that's obvious. Okay, that and that's the problem. It's obvious to us why Jadis saves Mason Peel. But looking at their ethos, it shouldn't be that obvious. And yet it it, it is because we're the viewer. We have feelings and rational sense. I mean, that's that's okay, a real. That was my contribution. That, that was is my a, contribution for the night. <laughs> but it's funny because like what you say is so big, so much bigger than the like than what's on the surface, right? Because what's on the surface is something that's obvious to us, the viewer. But it's when you really pick it apart, oh my God, they're full of shit. <laughs> You're right. I, I think it makes complete sense that Major General Beale would be a complete hypocrite when it comes to his own kid. Right. Well, okay. So this is a good gateway to what we talked about or what we thought we had concluded on when it comes to Project Votus. I mean, we haven't brought it up ever, ever since we talked about it, technically. I know it was just the last episode. But what we concluded was Project Votus was a smokescreen. Now, I still think that it is. And yet Jadis, even though Leo goes, your project is, is dumb. It's, it's uh, what is it? What good is it? You used it to kill a bunch of people. But Jadis still talks about it in terms of, but it's not dead. 
You know, we used it to kill a bunch of people, but we still believe in what we're doing. And that's when I was just like, oh my God, this is, they're crazy. They're, they're <laughs> just absolutely fucking crazy. I, I, and here I am thinking it makes more sense to me that they're full of shit and that, <laughs> and that VOTUS is a huge smokescreen for genocide and they don't really believe in the plot project. But now it's scary because <laughs> if they really still believe in the thing and General Beale, case in point, and this is, this is what I wanted to get to, Jadis takes it upon herself to be the Simon and says, we'll kill a bunch of them to set the rest of them in place. You know, we'll kill like almost all of them to, to make an example and, but Beale at the end of the episode, Beale in her ear says, no, you're going to get all the scientists. You're, you're not, no, you're not killing any of them. You're getting all of them and you're bringing them right back to the CRRF. You're going to secure the CRRF and you're going to continue the research. And so I'm like, oh, they still like the smell of their own farts. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Cuckoo. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, we also hear her tell Major General Beale we need to move up the Portland plan or, or whatever. Right. So, I mean, it, apparently he still knows about all the genocide. Like, it sounds like he's still calling those shots. Yeah. And Confirms if he another is still thing. planning, yeah. And if he is still planning on wiping out a whole city, I don't have any proof, but my gut is telling me if he is still willing to wipe out a whole community like that, that the project they're working on, you know, is, is still important. Like, he does give a shit about VOTUS, I think. Yeah, yeah. To further the point. But it does yeah. prove what Jade is, is saying to the doctor and everybody. Isn't just the thing to buy time. I mean, it was to, so that the snipers can get in place and take them all down, but it confirms what she's saying is true, that they were genociding all these people or committing genocide to these people in order to cull them, cull the living. I, I kind of called it, but I didn't want to be right that they were trying to cull the living. I mean, to cull is to quietly subdue, to mercifully kill. Like, I mean, you a culling, you cull sheep, you know, you slaughter sheep, but you cull them and to kind of reduce their numbers. No, they call, they call deer in the wild. Oh, deer, to, yes. Uh, That's what I kind of meant. Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if they, if they overrun, they decimate your crops, they decimate your, your living environment. Well, and know, then they the starve. ecosystem. If, if they, if they outgrow their ecosystem, then they starve to death. Yeah. Oh, I should say overpopulate their ecosystem. Right. Well, they poop everywhere. It gets toxic. It's, it's a whole thing. Oh, and then you add the whole prions thing, the whole uh, wasting disease that is being spread around lately. It's horrible, mm -hmm. which affect, well, could affect humans too. And that, that can be a horrible thing. And for, for what? It is gruesome to think about the idea that it's, it's to eliminate the competition. Well, thank God it's not that. However, the fact that what it is, is we did, we crunched the numbers and we paralleled uh, what's going on here to what was going on in the beginning of season nine of Fear the, of, sorry, of The Walking Dead. What was happening in the, in the beginning of season nine of The Walking Dead was the saviors were being a drain on Hilltop Colony, mostly. Alexandria was trying to prop them up in whatever way possible, but Hilltop was clearly the breadwinner in the race against Surplus or something. The saviors were not able to be fed. The saviors, the only thing that they could do was possibly generate ethanol, and that's it. And then at the meantime, Hilltop said, hey, we got all the food. You give us all your ethanol. Now, people called Maggie an asshole for doing that. However, I mean, are you going to complain if you have a full belly? And No. I mean, you get to live another day, I guess. To her credit, she didn't genocide the saviors, technically. So <laughs> kudos, Maggie. <laughs> uh, and then she promptly left. So 
There you go. And then the saviors went away anyway. So, but I like that there is a parallel because it is, it's kind of a response to, you know, what if we took this, what was going on here and brought this to a bigger stage? Like, and I think this is probably like the impetus of the show too. Funny enough, in the last episode, we brought up the fact that, oh, the Walking Dead World Beyond is kind of like a response to Rick and Carl, Carl's vision for the future as a child and Rick's inability to bring it about. Right. And then what would it mean for to to have this shared alliance community, like everybody working together? Well, this is the response that one community like the Hilltop Colony calls the other communities and say, fuck you, you're draining on us. See you later. We are the last Hilltop of the world. <laughs> so it's kind of it is kind of weird that it's coming to this point. And we, it's not the first time that we've even drew a parallel to Alliance of the Three being you know, Hilltop, Alexandria, Oceanside, the Sanctuary etc. So Kingdom. Well, let's get back to Mason General Beale. <laughs> uh, uh, what did it feel like for you to see Mason? Because uh, this is this is not as this is com- more complicated a question if you give it a couple seconds to think about it. But what did you think about Mason still not believing like headbutting Iris, first of all, to get away in light of everything he's heard? Like what what did that feel like when you first saw it? It felt amazing to watch him headbutt Iris. <laughs> <laughs> after after I got over that, right. um, two seconds I, later, <laughs> right. The thing is, I I get it. I, okay, okay. I understand why Mason wouldn't want to hear what he's hearing and not and, and wouldn't want to believe what they're saying about his dad. It's his dad. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about my dad like that. I get it. And not only it that, would... the way they went about it, like, oh, your dad's doing all these terrible things while we have you tied up and kept in a fucking <laughs> yeah. cage with walkers and shit. Oh, I'm going to believe everything you say because, yeah, what? No, like, it, it was, I can see why he didn't because they were totally out of left field and didn't prepare him or explain it. They just threw it in his face while they're in the middle of doing all this terrible stuff to him. Who would who would believe him? Right, right. They, they came off kind of crazy, right? I mean... We know they're right, but from Mason's point of view, they just, they look like crazy people. Yeah. I, and like, I can, I wouldn't be able to blame the audience for not seeing that. So like Leo, or if I think it was Felix, one of the two said, you know, we'll, we'll hurt the boy. This is like a way in the beginning where we're, we're prepared to escalate. And oh, what's Mason supposed to be, think of? And even if they say the truth, which they don't, and that makes sense for reasons I said in the last episode, telling Mason everything is kind of a bridge too far. It's showing too much of their hand. You know, if Mason knows too much, he may report back and say, oh, this is what they know. And then they have what to use against them or something like that. You know, if the more that Mason knows, the more the CR will eventually know and find out and go after them. Like, for example, the biggest one is that they plan on going to Portland. If he knows about that, they know how to track them down. They know where they're generally heading to, you know, so he can't, they can't do that. If one should ask, why don't they tell him everything? This is why. And so Hope has to make a decision. I choose my family before I choose take a chance on this boy whom seems nice who seems nice seems innocent and yet by the end of it we figure out he's not it's not that innocent because the thing that really bugs me is mason hears all this and doesn't even think twice he hears it from jadis's mouth of all people that's the thing that that ki- that killed me now i don't bl- i still kind of don't blame him for what he does 
Because he even looks on at Percy. And I, I see this in his face, right? He's looking at Percy. He sees a dead Percy. I don't think he's ever seen a dead person before and thinks, I did that. It was you and your dumb friends. And then he gets neurotic. He says, you and your dumb family. You dumb, stupid, <laughs> cocky face family, right? Like poopy, doopy face. Like, I, I don't know how he put it, but that's how I heard it in my head. <laughs> like, you and your dumb, poopy faced Bennett family. Screwed up dummies. Ugh. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> I was just mad at him. Not only, not only that, but like just your just your regular teenage, I'm not going to do anything you say mentality. Yeah. Which I almost, yeah. can you, you know, I, I'm, I don't know. Like there's that part of me that's like, can you blame him? But I'm like, I'm so mad at him. So basically what you feel for Iris, I feel towards Mason at this point. You're like, <laughs> like, I can't blame him in a sense, but at the same time, I hate him because he doesn't see what he just did. I mean, he literally is... It, just ironic. Like, you, do you see what you just did? Your actions caused this. No, but you're going to blame it on them? Oh, so what do you think they're doing? What do you think the CRM's doing? Oh, you're dying. You're being culled because it's your fault. You're being you're being <laughs> culled por uh, Portland, uh, Omaha campus. You're, it's your fault. You're a drain. So bye. <laughs> bye, bitch. <laughs> Fuck you, Mason. He could also see it as Jadis was just saying whatever she had to to yeah. set him free or whatever. Like, he doesn't have to believe... You know, I'm, I'm sure he's been brought up and brainwashed in the CRM manner for so long that everything they say is gospel. And I'm sure he probably figured Jadis is just saying what she has to to satisfy them so she can distract them or do whatever to get me loose. Yeah, and you could even tie that up all in a bow and just say he he's said it twice that he knows he feels like he's a disappointment to his father because he couldn't take the military track so there's always that specter hanging over him like the, his father's disappointment so like mm -hmm. you know maybe when faced with a life or death situation he's like you know maybe i could be the soldier boy that my daddy fuck this guy okay i understand what you're saying <laughs> there's that part of me that's very mad and there's the other part of me that completely understands why he does what he does and all the reasons and motivations so you know trying to get his father's love is is yet another brick in the fucking wall it makes a mason general feel hope you're listening jasmine i want to see what you i really honestly want to know what you think about this because after that's really the take i wanted though after <laughs> after yeah. jasmine fawning sorry i'm throwing you under the bus here <laughs> fawning all over mason uh i'm just very curious to see what she feels now that he's caused this to happen or whatever thing is if, if i think about it from mason's point of view like i mean i don't i think he's just a dumb teenage kid that you know he's in a situation because of who his dad is like i i mean i kind of feel bad for him i do and too if, <laughs> and if and if i were taken captive by some crazy family i would probably headbutt somebody to get out of there too <laughs> yeah and we also have to remember this happens within a matter of max hours and he's never had any experience out in the real world he's been mm -hmm. living at the freaking research facility you know forever how long or whatever he hasn't had any experience with what's going on out there he's as inexperienced as our group was when they left campus colony right mm -hmm. right so and they've That's had a month and a half yeah they've had a month and a half to acclimate you know mason has had maybe an hour and a half no and then you're a lot to process you're, you're you're drawing a great doesn't change how i feel 
Yeah. And and you want to you want to believe the people that you've been living with for all these years. I mean, take take our little group here, yeah. you know. Yeah. I believe mm. in I believe in you guys and I trust oh, what you tell us. me. Now if some if so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, if some crazy okay. No, no, no. Like like in real life, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. We have our group, we have our people that we trust. If some outsider were to come in and be like, Ooh. "Oh my god, Sharon D said this and blah blah blah." I'd be like, "No, she didn't." Yeah. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like I wouldn't be, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't even believe yeah. it. Like I and I, you know, Mason's got to be feeling a little bit of that too, because these people have kept him safe, have provided him with a good life, as far as he knows. And you know, you know what else is funny? Even with Mason having done what he did, whatever the reasons, it still doesn't mean that later on down the road, that that little kernel that's stuck between his ears of what he heard isn't going to be rattling around in there for a little while when something else happens. He'll have that as a seedling in the last episode uh, to with what to do. Because I wonder, sometimes we're short-sighted beings in that we have to take care of the problem now and, and there's no tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. But like, and I know we only have one episode left. Okay, I get it. But there's always a chance to, to like, well, like John Dory says, both. This is not too late. It's never too late. And look, I mean, Mason isn't, he's not a bad, like, in spite of the shit he says at the end, he says, you're your dumb cock face family. Like, <laughs> in spite of that, like, and that could be his way of dealing with something gargantuan that he just ended a life. His actions ended a life. You know, it, it possibly innocent. I don't know, whatever. Is anybody innocent? Who knows? But that could haunt him for the next episode. And he, we may see him in the next episode. And he may do something to maybe seeing that that they're right about eliminating Portland. Maybe maybe the fact that Jadis let the genie out of the bottle means that she feel, she'll feel free to let those farts fly. And she'll overhear her farting about gassing Portland, of all things. And then it makes it so that he goes... Oh, you're you're serious. You're serious about this. They're an alliance member. I mean, look at think about what he did. He put together a memorial party for in the name of Omaha. This is why I, I'm having trouble squaring this circle, even in light of what he does. He he does feel for them. I don't know if it's on the surface or if it's something he feels he has to do ceremonially. But like there is a good part of him that wants to do good things. He is a scientist. He wants to help maybe just like a, he's a great parallel to Iris. He felt like he needed to be this way because that was the best way for him to fight for the future, to be a scientist, you know, to adhere to the, the CR's doctrine of being that generation to serve the next generation to serve the next generation. So that maybe that that's the goodness in him. On the other hand, maybe the real him just showed himself. And then, you know, fuck that kid. So, so do you, I'm having a hard time are you, here. Are you under the impression that um, Mason feels responsible for Percy's death or he should feel responsible? I have a feeling that he's responsible because his reaction to it is, is very visceral and it, it's almost counter to what we've seen before. He seems like a caring person. And so he, him reacting poorly to this tracks with like him not being able to grapple with the gravity of the situation. I may be reading too far into it. I don't know. Well, what I do mean, you think, though? first of all, any, anything is possible. If I were Mason, thanks, <laughs> this is, Rachel. This is the, well, this is the only way, this is the only way I can like really think about it. Right. Like I have to put myself in, in Mason's position, like just finding all this stuff out. He was being held captive by these people. Why wouldn't he feel like it's their own fault? for getting themselves in that situation. Like, yeah, of course you're dead. 
you captured me. What did you think? How did you, how do you think this was going to play out? Right, right. <laughs> Still doesn't change things, right? Like it's, you can feel both things, right? You can, you can feel like yeah, they got yes. themselves killed. Yeah. And I still feel bad. So, you know, that, I, people are weird see, like that, right? Uh, I'll have to wait until the next episode because I don't know that I saw, or maybe I just have to watch it again. Cause I don't know that I, I saw I didn't shock. See either. I saw shock on his face. Like, Whoa, like you said, he'd never seen like yeah, a dead person initially. before. Or I, I don't know that I saw him feeling responsible for it. I mean, yeah. he could, he absolutely could. I'm just, I'd have to go back and watch again. Yeah. No, no, I, I don't, I don't see him taking responsibility with his words. Okay. <laughs> I just see Or even like his expressions. Yeah. I just see him reacting. You've seen it before when somebody actually does something wrong, but then doubles down on that thing all so they don't have to feel the gravity of what they've done. Yes. We see that. Yes, I know exactly everywhere. what you're talking about. We see this everywhere. And it really, really is sad. People not yeah. willing to say, hey, you hurt me. Or, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you. It's a shame. So that, and, you know, how can we expect him to feel the gravity of what he's done in light of the hour and a half he had with those people? If I were Mason, I'd be praying for somebody to come in and kill all these crazy people that captured me. <laughs> well, yeah. And maybe there's a little bit of, of that red pill in the make, Matrix sort of thing going on. Like, please bring me back into the Matrix. Please bring me back to a point where I was yeah. innocent. But then, okay, well, then what about these kids who had everything taken away from them? Yeah. That's just, that's what's sadder. He, well, he, he's got to look more at hope because I don't think he's feeling any sort of sympathy towards Iris right now. But if he can think about hope and what she's been through, what she's lost, he might be able to see it from, from that perspective. But yeah. Iris just crazy. Well, and, how, <laughs> and, you know, maybe just like us, how can we wrap our mind around the fact that this group, remember like at the top of the season, how can we wrap our mind around the fact that this group had genocided 100,000 people and is about to gas 90,000 more or whatever it is, 87,000 more. That's unfathomable. It's like, it's hard to grapple with. So we're expecting a kid to do that too. As an audience, we know everything. As Mason, maybe I know everything. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe. I didn't see it for myself like you guys did in the audience. Okay, you've got me, Rach. No problem. Yeah, you got me. Now I'm feeling it. Now I'm now it's sinking in now. Now that I've had time to think about it more than Mason has. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm getting it. It's how, we, it's how these therapy sessions hash out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I, to balance this heaviness of this moment, did you laugh when you saw two separate scenes full of CG walkers? CGI deer I much? I will. The only thing I will say is we have seen much, much worse have we? CGI. Uh, yes. We've seen worse. I, honestly, I will say this much. I we have the CGI deer takes the cake, right? Yes. The, by far. By far. Bar none. Yep. That was the worst. But what was you know? And I'm almost not even criticizing it. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real with you. It was almost like a break, right, from all the heaviness of this episode. I mean, I think I saw in the background, a walker just kind of doing like a dance, like doing a, <laughs> just shimmying around with his arms, <laughs> like dancing in the background. I swear to God, man. If you, if you know what you should do, just to watch put that shit on loop and then just like, just like watch it over and over again to see the different walker, CGI walkers in the background. And oh my God, I swear to God, I saw one that was dancing. I swear to God. Like some <laughs> smart ass thought he could get away with dancing in the background of a Walking Dead World Beyond sketch. And then some editor let that in. So who's to blame now, Mason General Beale? Did you edit this episode? I don't even know your real name. <laughs> Just call you Mason General Beale. Anyway, that was pretty funny though. 
Yeah. Well, and then, of course, we have to sort of bring up the hamster ball. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I thought that was fun. It I thought was it cute. was fun. That, that, was a nice, that is nice exactly moment. what two teenage boys would do. And especially those two. My it was only so thing nice is, like, to there's see no them way they, is, There's no way they, they, they stood up. They would have fallen at least one time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was nice to see Elton get his face sprayed full of blood from one of them. It was like, oh. Yeah, yeah I was... <laughs> I kept waiting for that to happen. I'm like, there's a lot of mesh grating there. Some of that's got to get through. Come on. Yeah. Boy, did and it And then it did. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you started yeah. crying. That was fun. I enjoyed that part. Like, I know a lot of people Yeah. A lot of people are like, that's the beer bottle balloon of, of this series. But I thought it was cute. That is believable, too, to me. I beer bottle balloon either. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that. It, that I mean, it is the perimeter sculpt, sculpture, technically. So, like, they're escaping in beauty, in art, in thing that was a thing that was meant to represent the last light of the world. Well, the innocence of a child's heart is he's the hamster wheel with his buddy old pal in a hamster wheel. Hey, no matter what happens, the world keeps turning. <laughs> it, it just matters that somebody is turning it. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of <laughs> cool. It's kind of cool. Oh, and yeah. The music that was playing in the background as they're doing it is like a variation on a theme from the beginning of the, the first season. Like when they start going out into the world, you see, you hear this wondrous music and then like, and here you have this up-tempo, we're doing it music, you know, like, oh, we're, we're yeah, how, this is a lighthearted moment. Yeah. All right. It's bouncing up and down. And I kind of want to use that in this episode, really. I'm just don't tell anybody I am. I'll do, I'll do it at the end. It's penultimate <laughs> episode. I get to do whatever I want, <laughs> but just don't tell anybody. Okay. Don't, don't tell anyone. Because then copyright, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We do have to talk about Iris and Hope. Hope seeing her sister mourning and at a loss over Percy. Going up to Mason saying, "I, I put myself through such hell to wrestling with what I what to do with you and this is what happens. It's almost like I trusted you Mason to st- stay put and shut up. What what do you guys think about that moment? And then Iris having stopped her. That's the more conundrum me part that I'd like to piece apart with you. Well, I mean, I think uh Hope is just mad at the world right now and I I mean, uh Mason was a good outlet. Like wow. I'm just mad at everything that's happening. I am just mad at life and everything is going wrong and you're the one I'm going to blame right now. I mean hope. I'm sorry, hope, not Iris. Hope. Yeah, no well. It, it's been hope for the last mm, all episodes mm. of the season, so I could see why you would do that. <laughs> but that's interesting that you put it that way though. Considering what we just said about Mason. Like, you know, he's Mason's kind of like you caca poo poo family, whatever. I'm going to give Iris a little credit here. What? A, a little bit of credit here and say that somehow she put her big girl pants on again and decided her sister's well-being it's was more important than revenge. Like justice or, so. yeah, well, revenge, right? But, <laughs> I mean, quote I'll, unquote I'll justice. call it revenge. Quote, unquote, justice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Her, her kind of justice. But but still, she, she recognized what was happening and she knew what it would do to her sister. And so she stopped her from doing it, even though she probably wanted her to. Well, okay, man, look, she says, and I have to go by what she says, and I wish I didn't have to go by what she says. I, this is me being on your side a little bit <laughs> when it comes to how you feel about Iris and why you feel it. But from what she says, she says she doesn't want hope in light of everything she revealed in the last season to her, finally, 
after, and this is the drama I loved most about Hope and what wrestling, what she had to wrestle with, you know, three episodes in, four episodes in, finally admitting to Iris at the end of the third episode, I think it was the, the BOG was the third episode or the fourth? Third. Third. Yeah. Third. She finally, finally lets it all go. And it, you'd seen her like, th- can you imagine living most of your life feeling this way? And then finally having to let that go. I, this is what makes Hope very interesting to me as a character. Well, at least made her interesting as a character and then just kind of stayed there. But then Iris choosing to say, hey, I know what you went through. You don't want to have to go through all of that again. Over this guy and you know, over this to, to ruin your life because of this. Now, what I want to say <laughs> is that Iris is a super genius and thought a thousand miles per minute and said, if you kill this kid... In, and she's in her head, then first of all, it's not going to bring back Percy. It's not going to bring back what, what, the, the respect you've lost for him. And it certainly will bring hellfire on all of our heads. It's going to escalate. It's going to get out of control. It, CR is not going to even think about, is no longer going to be thinking about their ethics and the light of the world. They're going to be thinking, oh, I'm going to use all my resources not to be the last light of the world. I'm going to use all my resources to bomb the shit out of this Bennett family. And basically maybe everybody who supported them. It really kind of goes back to the whole Walking Dead thing with Rick not killing Negan. You know, somebody has to stop, which is why it's it's always been a very interesting thing to compare Iris to Rick in that respect. Somebody's gotta stop. The killing has to stop. You don't know what you're taking from yourself when you decide to take someone else's life. And maybe to go back to what we said just earlier about the kernel that must be rattled, the, the corn pop that's r- rattling around in Mason's mind right now. Well, if you snuff him out, that kernel will never have a chance to sprout into something or be popcorn or, or whatever. Kind of like Michonne sparing Virgil in The Walking Dead. You know, every life, ha- people are a resource, quote unquote, or every spared life has a chance to pay it forward to the next life or be a springboard for somebody else to do good or, you know, in spite of what they've done or the wrong that they've done. You know, they, they have the ability to, well, it's not too late. It's never too late. So, and like we all said, he's only had an hour and a half to process all this shit. So... It's not his fault. He, just like us, was an innocent person who was dragged into this conflict. And now we're expecting him to, just like we were, to to take on the weight of the world. Well, let's spare him. It's not his fault. He's too young to really understand the weight of this. And, you know, fair is fair, but this is kind of unfair. He has a chance to not have to be, kind of like what we are talking about in the last episode about walls. We have to be who we need to be to pass through this moment. Mason, what what does he know? He doesn't know this world. This also made, like, where, where Iris is concerned, stopping hope. Percy's death made it real. Because up until now, nobody that they really care about has died. And I'm not talking about Campus Colony, because that's kind of abstract. They weren't there. Mm-hmm. They didn't see it happen in front of them. But this happened right in front of her, and Percy is dead. And I feel like maybe that just kind of made her realize it's not a game. It's not, it's not what you get. It is not a game. <laughs> it is not... You know, he's not coming back. This is it. It's dead. And I, I feel like maybe that kind of kicked her into stopping hope, too. This is real. It's real. This isn't like, oh, we're going to get to do it over again. Oh, you know, but no, this this is it. He's really dead. No respawn in life. <laughs> yeah. It really does go back to what that that quiet moment that he that she and Percy had talking about the future. Like, oh, I'm just taking a minute to think about what comes next. You know, oh, we're obviously going to pass this this moment without any injury or worry, right? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, who can blame them? They're kids. They don't see what could be. So, yeah, going back to the Thomas Mann quote, I mean, they're literally the opposite of what Jadis 
was talking about death and the dead. They're living life as if they have more of it to live. You know, they're not letting the prospect of death diminish their desire to live life to the fullest. This is what I was saying last episode about, you know, we need them to be them. We need them to see the future that could be, you know, whereas we have to think practically, you know, we as adults have to think practically and we have to make plans and we have to create contingencies and see the worst in people where, you know, the kids like Carl, let's say, this is why I always bring him up. I've been bringing him up lately because that's what he kind of represents. And it's kind of cool. And that's what these kids represent. We represent what could be, oh, maybe we'll be at the Getty Museum. Maybe we can live at the Getty Museum. Maybe we can grow crops at the Getty Museum, oceanfront property. Sounds great to me. How about you? (laughs) Live life surrounded by beauty? Why not? So then when you have this quiet moment and then you see that quiet moment near the end, where Percy's end, on the one hand, it made it real, but on the other hand, it made it real. Like on the one hand, they tried to make their life ahead of them real. And on the other hand, this is what could happen. And that was real. I mean, we even said at one point, at some point, she's going to have to realize that this isn't a game. We said that it was going to be Leo. Let's be frank here. From the beginning, we said, oh, Leo is going to be the first on the chopping block, you know, and that's maybe when Iris will stop. Maybe. Who knows if it would have sent her further. I don't know. But it being Percy, that's her future. What she thought would be her future. Sure. Leo's her past. Leo's her father, you know, but oh, now they took our future, but then they took our future. So they took Campus Colony. They took my past. Sorry, they took my present. Let's say they took Leo. They would have taken my past. And they would have taken, per- if they took Percy, they would have taken my future. They, t- they took everything. They took everything. So maybe that puts into perspective a little bit, like you were saying, about what it must mean for Iris to stop hope from taking Mason's life because it would have taken her future. <laughs> like maybe she ends up with Mason all along. Who knows? <laughs> I'm kidding. Her past was already well. robbed from her with all the trauma that she had to go through, so. She can have a different and better future with Silas now. (laughs) What, Iris? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Hey, I don't know. Yeah, I guess they have an episode to kind of go through. Oh God. Can you imagine jumping from that to that? (laughs) No, that's that's a huge joke, because that girl, my boy's too good for her now. Mm-mm. Get out of here. That ship has <laughs> sunk. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it right now, like, I mean, it, it, it does bring us to the end of the episode where she's finally, just like Puck kind of does, like Iris kind of just finally allows herself to feel something. You know, I mean, talk about holding in farts like Huck. Mm-hmm. Like she finally lets it all go. <laughs> all the resentment, all the hate, and all the things that she can't do about the situation. Up until the end, they're going to get away, like getting in Mason's face just before they go out there in the world and encounter Jadis. She gets in Mason's face about Portland even though it's their own necks that she has to be thinking about saving. Well, just like Felix says, you know, we have to put our own mask before we put on other Portland's mask, you know? Or the, the gas. She was questioning him about the yeah, gas, yeah. right? She, I, she didn't bring up Portland, did she? Yeah, yeah, because she wants to know where Portland, you know, what when you when you guys deploy to Portland, what's what's going to happen? What's the okay. deal? Yeah, something something to that effect. And then and then all of a sudden now that doesn't matter anymore. Because it was made real, she, she can't even think of anything else. She's letting go. And she happens to be around the other three people that she was in the beginning of the series, and she's letting herself have a moment. Well, yeah, I, I also think we're we're seeing Iris go through something right now. I don't know if she I don't know if I can say yet that she's given up on, you know, trying to stop everybody because she's she's going through some real shit right now. Like you said, shit finally got real for her and, and she needs to take a moment to digest all of that. But when she feels it all and goes through it all on the other side, she might be even more pissed off now, right? Like what if this, what if killing Percy makes her worse? I I can't even wrap my head around it. <laughs> it does kind of bring us back around to Mason, doesn't it, though? Like, because when you've lived life the way you have for as long as you have with a thing in your mind and something like a brick wall suddenly hits you, 
well then what you know do you keep mm-hmm. going through it <laughs> or, or do you feel the pain of the brick wall hitting your face and be like ouch i thought i would go through this wall <laughs> but i didn't so now i don't know well if you're iris you blow it up and go through anyway right <laughs> maybe i mean um, maybe. you know what depends on the person yeah right? it really does it really does all I know is that when that when something like that happens, it no matter what you do afterwards, it still has changed you. You can't deny mm-hmm. that it's changed you. So yeah. how that changes her, I, I'm curious to see after the after all this that we've been seeing for nine episodes. Right. Or eight I feel like half, she can go one. Of, I feel like she, Iris could go one or two ways right now. She's either gonna like yeah. collapse into herself and just be a ball of emotions dealing with the death of Percy, or it's gonna light a fire under her ass and she's gonna be more gung ho to bring them down than ever. Yeah. But if she does, I, I have a feeling that if she does, oh, feelings. Who needs them? <laughs> but if she does, I, f- I feel that she might be a little bit smarter about it. Like now she knows the consequences now percy hopefully meet, uh, meet leo meet felix meet hope which is why i think maybe she tells hope to put it down this is real this isn't a game it's not what you get like you said uh, so I don't know, maybe that'll come back up again i kind of want to see if that, that's what you maybe 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 hope is the one to say that's what you get at some point but like hey that's my line no you lost that line when percy died bitch <laughs> so, yeah. excuse me you were saying earlier how you know mason sh- should or maybe he does feel responsible for percy's death but i think iris is going to end up taking on that burden i think oh, she'll feel responsible that's interesting that is a hell that if, one has to bear if she's still human Oof. she might feel a bit of responsibility for what happened to percy it's not good that he died but it kind of is because she does see the reality of it now and now she can look at all of her friends and go oh shit you know my actions may get you killed you killed you killed i need to i need to take my foot off the gas and figure out where i'm going yeah pull the car over throw up a little bit (laughs) that's what you get Yeah. Wow. You've given me a lot to think about coming into the last episode of the series. I don't know what's going to happen, but I already told Charity this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to be so pissed if Agent Dennis dies from this stupid bullet wound that we've seen so many people survive before. How many times has Rick been punctured in the abdomen by a bullet or a rebar or in that same spot? At least three times, I think. My God. (laughs) And John. John took the same wound. Yep. And Morgan, and, I think. Too. And June kind of, I mean, it wasn't a bullet wound, but she had a wound oh. in the same area as well. So that they, John sewed up with fishing line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so come on, Agent Dennis, pull it together. <laughs> <laughs> come on, you Austrian God. <laughs> just, 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 you know, clench your muscles and just heal it back. Will it to, just beat it up to, to heal up faster. Come on, bitch. I was, I was waiting for him to just like flex his abs yeah. and then the bullet just like shoots out. Right. <laughs> I think that's what Silas was waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he'll, Silas kind of puts Elton's hand and goes, no, no, no. Watch. <laughs> Agent Just Dennis me. goes, pew. <laughs> uh, but it, it is pretty sad to watch. I mean, to add Annette Mahendrew, like, man, they were holding her ass. She was like a secret weapon. It's like they made it so that she probably went into the into the producer's room. She said, guys. Listen, I can't cry until like the second to last episode, okay, of this <laughs> series. Because when I do, I want that audience in the palm of my hand. <laughs> and well, she's I'm all hers. I'm all hers. Right here. I swear to right God. Here. 
watching her <laughs> break down. Like, remember? Do you remember at the reaction video? I don't know if we're gonna ever air it, but the first thing I noted was her hair coming down, and which is a good comparison to June from the series uh, from Fear the Walking Dead. Her sad her hair, sad hair coming down. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then so now she gets to be sad because she has sad hair. And of course, we're sad and I don't have hair to be sad about. But if <laughs> if you could imagine it on my head, it would be there. I have a sad beard. I have a sad curly beard. Ooh, yeah. Do you think Dennis is dead? No. No. I thought that when I saw her gripping the ring. I mean, the, the way the she ring. came out, when she came out crying and she came out... <sighs> She came out and she was crying and holding her. I'm like, Dad, did he die? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, this I is was, me in denial, probably. At, <laughs> yeah, I was worried at first, but when I when I rewatched it, I I don't think he's dead. I think this is a continuation of her breaking down and realizing, you know, what her and Dennis went through. And I don't. I mean, I don't know if that really started the whole thing. I guess it kind of did because her punishment was was going there and doing this. And so what they went through was the catalyst for this whole stinking thing. Their end was their beginning. Like Dennis Mm -hmm. and Huck's end was the kid's beginning kind of thing. So yeah, whatever. But we don't see that. She was just done holding it all in and couldn't do it anymore. And then she, and then she holds the wedding ring too. Like, gosh, I don't like a prayer. I wish I could, let's just say, I know. I wish I could pinpoint Holding it hopefully instead of sadly, instead of irisly. Yes. Yeah. Like maybe we, maybe we, can come back from this or something yeah if he's if he's if he survives we can come back from this i'm gonna say know? something very un- I'm, I'm gonna I, say I i'm gonna too. say something very uncharacteristically and characteristically uncharacteristic <laughs> of me there we go that um i felt like they could have this is gonna sound very weird but i felt like between victor saying the universe gave me this building and the universe <laughs> gave me momo uh or gave, gave morgan <laughs> momo and but and then like also things like like i'm seeing annette huck grip this this wedding ring in her on her necklace and the dog tags and i keep thinking to myself i i don't i'm not a really religious person but like can't somebody believe in god on these shows like can't there be something higher that she could appeal to to pray for dennis i'm i'm not a i'm not i'm an atheist and i'm like i that's fine with me go pray if you want to pray you can do that please pray for your husband to pull through you know what i mean because i felt like i felt like it was holding back because there was something more she she or maybe because that that's that little bit of cr that's left in her that says oh no we are the light of the world (laughs) What am I going to pray to? There's nothing out there. That's exactly what I was just no about to say. No way. Yeah. Yes. Who Who is she going to pray to when her deity basically just failed her? Right. Who is she going to pray to? Herself just failed her. Yeah. <sighs> well, I mean, the CRM. You know, the, the CRM has been her religion. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And or the military. Or the military because she was a Marine before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it just... And we don't... Maybe she's atheist, too. We don't know that she believes in anything. (laughs) She's, like, literally doing this. She has her hands together. Just She's, like, this close to being... To having her hands with prayer hands. You know, the pray hands are an emoji, right? Well, I Um, guess it goes to show, though, right? That's... The fact that I'm this frustrated about it shows how (laughs) well she's selling this moment, right? Like, I want to pray to somebody, but there's nobody to pray to, but I just wanted to pull through. Well, I also think we get a lot of religious aspect on The Walking Dead. And so I I think it's kind of a breath of fresh air that they don't bring relig- heavy religion into World Beyond because it could potentially drive people away too. 
I just don't think they understand the audience that they have. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, f I feel like most TV shows are like that, though, where they kind of do... S I'm not saying that shows should show God and stuff like that. I mean, it's funny, like, even this show kind of doesn't shy away from other deities, let's say, or, like, other potential religions. Like, so it was take, take, for example, the whole Asha praying and stuff like that, you know? And we know Asha is, is, in, is Indian. It's not implicit. It's... It's so, or it is implicit, it's not explicit. And there is that whole beauty in the darkness thing. And maybe they want to attribute the beauty more to an aesthetic or a uh, more in contrast to the dark, this light that we see within the dark sort of thing. And so maybe you're right. Maybe it is too difficult to kind of just make an easy cheat code to God. <laughs> Um, when the thing that we're trying to contrast is real and as a result of the zombie apocalypse, right? The the deities that are found in the darkness, let's say, rather than being on the nose and being, oh, God, help me and Dennis, ooh. No, it's a bridge too far. But maybe, well, you know, her pulling herself aside, trying to find somebody, some, somebody or something to pray to is the very thing that ends up allowing her to find the, what are those called? Uh, shipping Shipping containers, containers full of... Uh, Votus gas. Votus gas. <laughs> Jadis is farts. So, so, so uh, her noxious gas. Knockout gas. Um, we talk about it. And it's, and it's green. And it's green. It's very, very cartoony. <laughs> you know, Barca died from those farts. <laughs> anyway, it's literally what we kind of say about, well, this per person's death has meaning in that it moves the story forward. Like, had Dennis not died here and where he was and the punishment that he paid for, and then she wouldn't have found the gas, right? That would have killed yeah. 100 or 87,000 more people. So that is what we call meaning. It's like, it's not, it doesn't, it sucks that it happens, but if something happens as a result of it that moves the story forward in hopefully a better way, then that's what that means. Now, does that mean that Dennis is dead? Well, I hope not. <laughs> His not. abs brought him back to life. <laughs> his, his abs performed CPR for him. They're that powerful. Shit, his abs brought me back to life. <laughs> <laughs> Two times. Mm -mm -mm. Like a slip and slide. <laughs> anyway, so so she's explain so Janice is explaining to Huck that the which rightly so, the Bennets are motivated by a sense of justice. They're still here because they want to make sure they take us down. Well, I've got news for them. I moved the gas. I moved my farts to a different facility. Still, uh, it got me thinking about what the CRM's motivations are. It really does bring you back to what the quote of this episode is, is death and the dead, right? They're motivated. Because I, had, I, I really had thought about what Jada says to the kids and Mason Beale, who happens to be there. But what they what they had done, so to spell it out, the CRM did some models on the production of, can you know, basic based on intel that they received from from Huck and both her infiltrations, and maybe some shared data between scientists, you know, the Portland campus colony, Omaha. But based on all their projections, they said they basically estimated that all these colonies would be a drain on the Civic Republic. And at best, these other communities, they would slowly die from famine. And at worst, they would bring disease and strife. That's not the word strife, but conflict to the CR itself. Basically, the four horsemen of the apocalypse would visit. Nice. The four horsewomen. Well, death, pestilence. Well, conflict wasn't one of them, but death is one of them. War. War, yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. War, pestilence, famine, and death. Right. Interesting, right? Now, I had to think about this, though. What would be the internal conflict at the CR as a result of this? I mean, it does parallel nicely to season nine again of The Walking Dead. You're like the little conflict that everybody has, Daryl, the whole reason why Daryl's in a pit with with Rick is like, okay, Maggie and Daryl have this agreement that what Rick's trying to pull is going to be a drain on all the other communities, the sanctuary and all that stuff. But I had to think of it. Like, what if the Civic Republic found out about the conundrum, about this extrapolated data? They would be hemming and hawing, politicking and postulating and posturing, and, and their ethics would get in the way. So the Civic Republic felt that they needed before the civilian trans, uh, sorry, the f- civilian takeover, because it was coming, like we all said, that they needed to do this one last ugly but merciful thing on behalf of the Civic Republic. I mean, when you really think about what they're trying to do to protect the Civic Republic, but being the ugly executioner that they are to be the last light of the world, it's almost like, I mean, I could see where they're coming from, and this is really gross, Like, I can see sort of where they're coming from in a weird way. If we don't trust the civilian government enough to make the hard call, we have to make it for them. It's kind of like what we were saying in the last episode. Hey, Leo, I'm not leaving it something like this, like wringing Lila's neck up to you. I would rather it be me so that you could be the human that I come to when I need to be pulled out from pulled back from the brink. I'll be the executioner. You preserve yourself to preserve me, you know? So that's, take that and then bring that into a grand scale. That's what the civic public military is doing by calling these other communities. Like, okay, we gotta, when we leave this government in the hands of the civilian government, we gotta leave it with knowing that the, their future is in good hands. They can't account for everything, but they're trying to account for this. What do you think of this grisly fucking thing, though? Like, it's it's really hard to bring that to bear. I think by killing all these people, like the 100,000 people that they've already killed, and however many more they're going to kill in Portland, they're creating that many more risks for the CR. I mean, they're literally turning people into weapons where they weren't before. They, right. they may have been a threat, but now or they're, drain. they're right. an active risk. Like, now they're reanimated because, you know, we know the... the Farts aren't working, so they are in fact reanimating, and they're gonna go to the one and only place in the country that they can find food, which is the CR. Oh, right. right. I mean, well, you're going the to the last light. Well, see, they didn't watch Squawking Dead, <laughs> no, and know that. Well, that's their that fault. Walkers will eventually find massive amounts of people. Yeah. <laughs> see. Yeah, it didn't really ever make sense to me because they're creating a hundred thousand more walkers now that are eventually going to have to be dealt with. Well, of course it doesn't make sense to you because you don't <laughs> think like they do. I mean, if, if knowing what we knew about the CR from the very jump, how mysterious they were, how effective they were, uh, substantively, like at the time, you're like, oh, obviously they'll be the last light of the world. I mean, look, think, think, wait, 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 wait. Let's, 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 let's go be more specific. Even we were saying they have a point <laughs> in some places in our discussion. We're like, eh, maybe they did some bad things, but maybe they're the only way to go, right? Maybe kind of like Dennis is saying, there's some flaws, but we can fix that. Mm. But now we know it's, it, well, maybe this is a question more than an assumption. Is this all unfixable? 
Is telling the civilian government enough? You know, I mean, is is it too late? Are they too far gone? I I, I don't you know. You also, we're also making a big assumption that the civilian government would be appalled by this. What if they're okay with it? I had mentioned this. I had mentioned this before. <laughs> this is a like perimeter colony saying, "Hey, hey, Huck killed my uncle, Percy." <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, but they she saved us in the, from the Marines, so go fuck yourself." Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you're gonna <laughs> die in a couple episodes? Oh, well, yeah, they'll take care of that. <laughs> Problem <Yeah>. solved. <laughs> Yeah, for all we know, the civilian government finds out the truth and then they go, gosh, thanks, guys. Thanks for doing that. So we didn't have to. (laughs) Right. And and also, what does the civilian government have to do in response to the CRM? They hold a show. They they say, oh, these guys are going to be punished for war crimes. And maybe the CRM knows that that's going to happen. They're prepared for that eventuality. They know that at the end of the day, with everything that they've done, they are prepared to die for for the CR. Knowing that the CR can never, ever, ever make reparations with all the people that the CRM killed in their name. Like, how do you make it up to corpses? That's tough. That's real. That's actually made me a little emotional, actually. The only thing you can do is make sure that the people who are still alive stay alive. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really tough to wrap your mind. I mean, it's not because we have examples from real life. But it's sad that people like Jadis are prepared to die for this. They must know. They must know that they that at some point they would get caught, that somebody would find out. What if Jadis ends up being the scapegoat for this whole thing and Major General Beale comes and says, it was all her, you guys, and they execute her in front of the CR, you know, the civilian government, and then everybody's happy because they got their bad guy. Oh, man, man, right? But you know what? That's, that's the funny thing, like, about all of this. You know, even General Beale, Mason General Beale is... Major General Deal is <laughs> is advocating for the scientist's retrieval rather than what Jade is as elimination. She's on that Simon bent. So something's fishy here. If you want to compare it to the episode of Fear the Walking Dead we just watched, I mean, Jadis just tried to pull a Morgan and tried to kill Victor and <laughs> didn't succeed. Thank goodness. She killed Percy. Well, maybe to 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 draw a parallel, she ended up killing one. <laughs> just like Negan wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And was spared having to kill all these other scientists. Now, we don't know if those other scientists made it because they pulled ahead of Leo in the second car. So fingers crossed that they make it. Were, were they all heading to the place where Felix, Iris, and Hope end up? Because Hope makes a comment, why aren't they here yet? So should the truck that went ahead, should they have already been there? I'm not sure, actually. What do you say, Sharon? Sounds like you, you said that they were supposed to be there, the scientists. Hope said they should be here by now. But weren't wasn't there two trucks in Leo's convoy when he stopped? Wasn't there two trucks there? Maybe that was them, and somehow Leo got ahead of them. No, I, th- I think the other one went ahead. I think so. I think they're the the scientists when that were in the car behind them, and I think he put the rest of them in there and allowed them to drive ahead. I think they're still at the Cornell Mall, or at the, I think they're trying to meet up at the Cornell Mall, maybe with all the perimeter Is colony that- people. Where do we know exactly where Felix, Iris, and Hope are before Felix branches off to go back and help Leo? What is that location? I don't know, but it seems like a rendezvous point. Yeah, Some that's kind. why I was wondering. Yeah, I don't know exactly yeah, the truck where. Truck that though. Leo's. The truck that Leo sent on ahead, they should have been there. I think I think they might they might have met up with uh, wherever the perimeter colony is supposed to be. To be honest, because I, I I think they're still in play. The okay. perimeter colony. And right? Felix does mention the the Cornell Mall. Was it you know, this I thought episode? it was. Yeah, when 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 Felix, Hope, and Iris get to wherever they're at, because Iris has her sad face and Hope is wondering where everybody is, and then that's when Felix says, 
something along the lines of something about a rendezvous and then something else about the court, the underground, underground mall. mall. Okay. Yeah. So then fine. Yeah. That's, that's maybe he doesn't call it by name. He, maybe he only said underground, but yeah. he did say mall. Yeah. He the underground mall is the Cornell mall. But yeah. So then, so then, okay. okay. Then they, they're keeping to the same plans of the scientists meet, going on ahead, meeting up with perimeter colony at the Cornell mall. And then okay. all of them were supposed to actually end up heading to Portland essentially. So, okay. but I think Leo and the girls were supposed to meet up at the rendezvous point so that they can head over to the culling facility to pick up Silas and Elton et al. So Okay. Or whatever else they were supposed to do. But then now, fortuitously, gotcha. that's where the gas is, so that's where they're headed anyway. So, boop, 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 boop. Wrapped up. <laughs> so, my next, so, my next question is, Felix goes to help Leo. We see Hope and Iris still wherever this mystery location is. And then the next time we see them, they're in the middle of the woods. Didn't Felix tell them to stay there? <laughs> oh, because well, they get radioed by uh, Huck. About. But that happens while they're in the forest. They're like in the trees and oh. then they see Elton and Silas and they're like, oh, and Hope and Elton have their hug. And then we hear from Huck. I thought they were outside of the house when they saw, like right in the vicinity of the rendezvous house when they saw Elton and Silas. That's what I'm wondering. Were, were they? Because it didn't look like the same. They were surrounded by a lot more trees than they were in the previous scene. Mm. I mean, look, I'm, I'm okay with squaring it with, with uh, Le- sorry, Felix going after Leo and then them rendezvousing, rendezvousing, <laughs> rendezvousing over at the calling and maintenance facility. <laughs> Because that's where they're going to end up anyway. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter anyway. But either way, that's where they're going to they're end up. But we need to start calling our watch parties rendezvous. Rendezvous. <laughs> rendezvous. <laughs> what do you guys think about the beginning scene? How effectively they took care of those, took out those soldiers with the BO4 bombs? Bob bombs? Mm, that was cool. <laughs> Talk about That was cool. That was cool. Did anybody else see Felix kind of having a hard time? It looked like it wasn't sitting right with him. He even says, no going back now. And he says it kind of, they're doing bad things for the right reasons now too. So are we, are we the bad guys, guys? Yeah, yeah. Well, or at least they're, I noted, what I noted in the beginning was like, now who's the executioners, you know? Yeah. But they're feeling the weight of that. And maybe to your point. You know, is this what the CRM maybe felt the first time they had to kill the whole 100,000 people community? No, I'm kidding. That they had to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was the first CRM mission like? Is that going to be a Tales of the Walking Dead, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Ooh. Like, what what does that look like? What does doing bad to do? What is Major General Beale's first kill? What did that, what does that look like? How did they get to where they had to get to? Or maybe Lila's whole backstory is emblematic of what they felt like they needed to do to do. Sounds like a story for Tales of the Walking Dead. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I even know in the beginning, like, just in spite of me making fun of myself about reacting to Mason, even in the beginning of my notes, I said, Mason seeing this, all of this up close. I mean, this is the first thing that Mason sees that's monstrous, that they do this. I'm glad you brought it back to the beginning. Or, well, but we all kind of went there. Uh, we, we all we all went for this ride. I just dragged you along with me. But, <laughs> but he that's the first thing he sees is this monstrous act against the soldiers. Them blowing basically almost all the soldiers at that base up. Right, all the numbers that they have in this research facility gone in a flash from the five different entry points where all the soldiers went in. So we created the, a monster while fighting against monsters. And Hope is the one to, to do the last one, and Mason sees this. So, of course, I should know better. <laughs> I should have known, and I shouldn't judge so much, even though, fuck that kid. <laughs> Gets face off. He's so good. He's such an attractive young man, and then, then he has to do something like that and headbutt Iris and then make Percy dead. I mean, you guys are starting to like Percy, right? I mean, you def- no. you defended him a little, too. Like when I, when I was like, oh, I'm sus on Percy, but like now look at me. No, look at what I've done. I judged the young man before it was time. 
I mean, he was he was starting to make a comeback, but I, I don't, I'm not ready to say I liked him. Mm. Well, what about you, uh, Sharon D? You you, you did kind of you're like yeah, I kind of get him. I kind of like yeah, him. I don't I don't mind. I didn't mind Percy. I was okay with him. Actually, I was like, no, he's he was pretty straightforward. I didn't mind Percy at all. But, but I didn't have the I didn't have the feeling about the Silas and Iris that you had, thing, Rachel. Like, like Rachel. Yeah, yeah. that's the, the whole yeah. reason why you're on the fence. <laughs> yes, it, it was kind of sad that he, yeah. And it, ma- it makes me, I, I don't know, like a, a funny kind of angry at the end when Silas is like, Percy? Like, what do you care? What do you care about Percy? <laughs> <laughs> so there was a, a moment that I wanted to get your guys' take on because I'm still not entirely sure what I saw. The, fr- so the, the frozen scene, head thing? Uh, no, that, well, I mean, that I, <laughs> that was its own issue. Okay, okay. But specifically, um, when Hope was killing Lila, Walker Lila, okay. right? Oh, we're in the same she vicinity. Kept, okay. <laughs> yes, yeah. Same area, yeah. but different moment. She realizes who the Walker is, and then she's trying to slam her head in while she's having all these flashbacks of Lila. Yeah, and Huck a little bit, talking about how safe the facility is, and, you know, look at what she's having to do now. Like, is it really that safe? But on the other hand, you guys kind of made it unsafe. But anyway, I I digress. She's having all these flashbacks, and I thought she was, like, having a sentimental moment, like, feeling bad about what she had to do right then, right? But then she does the thing. She looks at her, and Felix is like, you all right? And she's like, yeah, I'm good. Let's go. And yet she goes, I'm like, what? She goes, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? I mean. Am I, did I miss something? Did <laughs> Sharon, he's got How something. How did you guys see that? Sharon, he's oh, got yeah, something. She's just, she's just trying to be, I, I, don't, I can't deal with this right now. Let's just move on. But do you, you think know? she uh, felt something when she had to kill yeah, Walker I mean, Lila? I think, okay. I think she, well, Lila was the first person there who was really nice to her. Mm-hmm. You know, and. And I feel like, yeah, she felt bad about what she had to do. But then Felix is like, you okay? And she's like, yeah, we, we can't deal with this now. We just got to go. Don't worry about me. Let's, I'll handle this part later. Let's go do what yeah. we got to do. I wonder and if she'll have to tell. I don't want to tell... think about it. I don't want to think about this right now. I have other things to worry about. I don't want to have to deal with this right now. It sounds a lot I like Iris, up... too, in a way, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I wonder if Hope will end up telling Leo what she had to do or that she saw that she found Lila. I mean, she wouldn't have to. There's no reason Leo needs to know that, but yeah, I mean, one, the one thing Negretti says in the um, the after the episode exclusive on AMC Plus, he says, and hope finding Lila like this shows like the that this is what ha- this is the reward they give to people who expire in their name. They become science experiments too, mm-hmm. and, and they they nothing gets wasted at the CRM, right? Yeah. So because that that was definitely not the same room that Lila died in, right? No, um, no, no. She was, was she was taken to this room. Remember that okay. she was in the That's what I thought. Yeah, she was in the observation lab, you know, where they had uh not even the not even the walkers that were that we classically seen in the first season in the stingers, right? She wasn't even in that room. She definitely wasn't in the mm-hmm. freezer, but she was definitely in the observation room where Barker had expired. That's where she got killed. And then they moved her into the freezer just like all the other okay. you know, poked That's and, what I poked and prodded uh, subjects were, you know, where they took the skin off, right? The little square that were on the bodies mm-hmm. that Felix found the first time around, that's where she was. Yeah. In spite of what Negretti says, it's it's kind of like what you're saying, Sharon. She was the first person that was nice to her. She saw her as a potential mother figure, you know, for the one that was taken away from her in her childhood trauma. Let's not forget that. And to boot with Huck there and then both saying in her flashbacks saying, you know, this is a safe place. Maybe this is someplace I can gravitate towards. I can focus on bringing about the future. It may not be perfect. They may have done things, but they convinced me that maybe this was the way forward. They they convinced me, let's say, 
that in spite of, you know, we got to do bad to do good, that maybe even though they did a horrendous act, that we could maybe plow through it and figure this out together. You know, maybe maybe they could be the last light, but we just got to fix a few things, like Dennis says, right? But it's all wasted. It's all shit. You want to really compare it to something physical? Think about the very first thing you see in the in the pilot episode, and what is that? It's Iris's dream. What is she dreaming about? Being a walker. And what is what is what is Hope seeing? A literal walker, a little representation of what she could turn into if she started questioning things, if she started saying the wrong things, if she started asking the wrong questions. Is that any way to live? Is that life? Am I gonna have to parcel off my soul just to just to guarantee a place in the future? Is this really safe, Huck? Because it doesn't seem that way. We're in the shit now, <laughs> guys. So I can see her being frustrated as all hell. Like her wrestling with the prospect of trusting Mason in spite of everything about holding him hostage, I'm sure, and still holding on to these principles. So she's wrestling with all of it. And so I think she's at, at, at the breaking point. She's like, no, she's, it's like the last shred of hope that the CR or the CRM could be anything of any value to her. Cause she still sees the value of the CR until that point. She goes, maybe we could come back from this. And then ending Lila at that moment, she's like, let's just get the fuck out of here. There's no, there's no redeeming this. And in that she's betrayed a second time. She's sold a bill of goods about what her future is supposed to be. And it's, that's heartbreaking. And maybe that enables her to almost break bad on Mason's face <laughs> with the bullet. <laughs> Right, because it's like think think about okay, and I, I know I'm rambling a bit, so but bear with me because there's a point to this. It, it all makes sense now what Iris does to stop hope. Maybe Iris sees the moment that she has with Walker Lila in her twin brain, like Wendell and Wendell and uh, Sarah from Fear the Walking Dead. Maybe she has twin brain where she's starting to feel that you know what it was like for her to bury that part of her that feels like she has any value because she did a monstrous act. And now here she is again. She was somebody that was promised something, a future, and because she made a mistake, it was all taken away from her. The mistake she's making in the process, harboring Mason, this idea that she has this future and now it's being ripped away from her again. And now when, when that gets taken away, she feels like she can never be of value again. And so what does she care? Kill Mason, fuck it. What, what, what does it matter anymore, right? Yeah. But then Iris says, no, 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 no. There's, there's still a tomorrow after this. And if there's going to be a tomorrow after this, we need you whole. So now, that makes more sense to me now. It's not done quite the way that it's depicted, but now that scene... Cause I, okay, just like you guys, I wonder myself, is it enough, the tragedy with Percy, to get Iris to stop hope? I was almost kind of like, I'm, like, I'm actually wondering in the back of my mind, are the girls going to think that or find this acceptable? Like... That Iris all of a sudden makes a turnaround and stops hope. <laughs> is is Sharon D and Rachel going to think this is enough? Because I almost enough to like redeem her? No, no, Hell no, no, not redeem, oh. but like also. Oh, I'm like, what? are they going to buy it? Is that, that's what I was thinking in the back of my mind. I do honestly think Iris loves and cares about her sister. Okay. I do. I mean, just as as much as I dislike Iris, I think she cares about her sister, and I don't think she would want her to go through what she went through after killing Amelia. Right, I and mean, that's where she would go she would hate her even if it even if in this moment it was maybe for the right reasons but it would still eat away at her because i think hope deep down is a good person and killing someone doesn't sit well with good people right iris well <laughs> killing the right people though right like more like more kill the right people <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But this, I mean, this would be in cold blood. I mean, he wasn't attacking her. This wasn't self-defense. She walked up to him and pointed a gun in his face. Right. It'd be different if it was in self-defense. 
it wasn't. Mm. All right. I'll accept it. <laughs> I was worried. I was actually worried if you guys would like actually swallow that. I mean, and, and, and well, if you do swallow that, then you get to see her pain. You get to see her finally break down. You get to see her start unraveling. And then therefore, what what was it that she was holding in? Why? See, I'm still not resolved on that. Like what was holding in Iris's fart? Like what what is the thing that makes her not give up on this vengeance quest, this quest for quote unquote justice, right? Maybe we'll get to see all of it come to, to bear next episode. Oh, they got one more episode Jeez. to Wrap it up. Gosh. I'm going to draw one more parallel. And that's, um, do you remember when, of course you do. Of course you do. It involves Agent Dennis. <laughs> remember when Dennis was saying to Silas, your friends can take care of themselves. You know, stop. There's nothing out there. There's nothing for you. Stop looking for them. You're going out there as a nothing burger. There's nothing for you. And then the very thing that Dennis says <laughs> to Felix and Elton to go, go, go find your friends. I thought that was kind of an interesting, like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I get you. In this ugly world with CRMs out there, go find your friends because you're going to need them. <laughs> There's kind of an interesting, like, little parallel finally comes around Aww. to them. And then he squeezes abs and he got better. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> How about Silas running into Webb? Web? Yeah, it's exactly what I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> I, I, I found that very interesting because it, it also still parallels well with actually sharing these question about, well, if they're doing all this to save Mason Beale, you know, isn't that going against their ethics? And now here we are with Webb not immediately shooting Silas on site, which is what he was supposed to do. I thought that was kind of sweet. Well, it kind of sounds like he's still questioning whether Silas is or isn't part of this group. So if he takes the shot and he's wrong, what does that mean for his place in the CRM? You know, he doesn't want to be wrong. I I would have agreed with you initially, but then he says, we were supposed to shoot you guys on sight and he's not doing it. And he's still trained his sights on Silas. And I, I think the hesitation is real. And I think that says a lot about human nature and children and human nature. And it's hard to program all this shit into a kid. I mean, it's what we said about the kids before we even saw the series. What is it like to be told to not be yourself, to not look towards the future as anything? You know, your present means nothing. Everything you do is in service of the future. You can't, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work, except with Iris. And then she feels betrayed by that. So it's heartbreaking though too, because then Webb pays for that. Even though he doesn't kill Silas, well, and then Elton knocks him out, and that's a funny moment onto itself. That, is, that was funny. Silas is left to be desired. <laughs> He's like, who is that guy? Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Anyway. He'll, he'll be go. out for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the the weight happens. of seeing your friend <laughs> almost kill you doesn't matter, really. I'm your friend. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> oh, boy. The dynamic duo are back. I mean, the only big question I have still is, I think we answered it, but like, why does, why does Iris stop Pope ultimately? Is it because of that? I'm still being an asshole about that. Like, I still, still feel something there. Like, something is off there. But I, I'll accept what they say is the reason. And given... I want to believe it's because she cares about Hope's well-being and I do too. mental state. That's what I want to believe. No, I do too. And, and I think really discussing the, the events of the freezer and seeing, La- and seeing Lila Belshaw, Walker, Empty Belshaw... <laughs> empty Belshaw. Does... <laughs> Does bring that back home, right? Empty Belsha. Well, she was after Hope was done with her. Now she's headless Belsha. Empty headed. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. But we you know what we were talking about? The frozen heads. When I first saw uh, Felix plunge or try to plunge. See, my first thought was he did plunge the blade into the empty's head. And, yeah. and then it, I thought I was seeing something new like, oh, frozen brains apparently don't take them down. 
so much. I I have one question. Mm. It's either if their brains are frozen or is it the like skin that's still frozen? I'm wondering how they're 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 awake if their brain is frozen. Because isn't that the the funk the main system here? So if that's still frozen, only the what you would call the lizard brain, which is the basic core. The basic core of your motor, what makes your motor functions, like it makes you walk and eat and whatnot. Uh-huh. That maybe that isn't frozen, but all around it is. Like all the brain matter around it is frozen, but that because that's if, kind of in the middle, you know, like it didn't get to that frozen yet. But if but you all leave, around it, if you have frozen like frozen chicken breast and you leave it out on the counter to thaw out all day, it thaws from the outside in, right? <laughs> so the yeah, the center was, of the brain would be frozen. It would last. It would freeze from the outside in, so the outside would freeze before the center did. Right, but we know that these were oh. so- frozen solid through because we already saw them frozen. Sharon, they Sharon were, D's explaining, though. Do you know what I mean? In a roundabout way, Sharon D's explaining that maybe they weren't fully frozen, though, right? Is that what you're saying? So maybe the center yeah, maybe of their brain was still working. But we saw... Centers. We saw well, Felix I mean, down there interacting with them, and they weren't they were they weren't reacting to him, right? Well, he, from what I remember, he was. Well, what Charity saying is that they may have just been thrown down there and not there long enough. They, I mean, the outside is frozen, oh, okay. and not the inside of their brain. So that little warm, squishy center, it's yeah, possible. Okay. Their, little, their little gooey center is still working. Yeah, right. Okay, these are newer, <laughs> newer, te- newer uh, walkers. Yeah, biomatter. <laughs> Well, because okay. you know, you know what ex- you know what explains that a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Do you, what explains that a lot better are the ones that didn't start moving yet, right? Because you go in initially and you see them still strapped, and none of them are moving yet. Yes, that was why. So. That was where my confusion came in. I'm like, they're clearly still frozen, but when he stabs him, he can't get through. And I'm like, well, then how is the brain functioning if it's still? Fro- I don't. I had a thousand thoughts going through my head and no answers. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I mean, what Charity says makes sense to me. Like, if they had just been thrown down down there that day or the day before they haven't fully frozen all the way through but just the outside's just enough so they can't move until like okay it thawed out just enough so their hands could move and shit uh-huh. you know? and then they move around but so they, they never got fully they, frozen is essentially right. the thing yeah. i was looking at these walkers like they were ones strapped down with skin missing right. like i right. thought they were yeah maybe some of them th- those walkers thawed faster than others or i don't yeah who knows but yeah, that could <laughs> but be again, too. yeah they're still frozen on the outside which doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah. yeah. Either way, so, such a minor discrepancy. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I, I, I just like my initial reaction was like, oh my God, you can stab them in the head and they still keep moving. Oh my God, what does that mean? And then I realized, because, you know, and it's pretty dark. You really can't tell at first. And like, uh, and then you realize, okay, he never really got past the skull so much. So, you know, he just he hit it, but then he just couldn't get through it. And, did his S pull break? No, it just didn't go any further. I, just wouldn't go yeah. through. Okay. And so All and right. so there you go. That, so I thought I was seeing something, but we didn't see anything. So thank goodness. Otherwise, like, I would have talked about like it for every episode. Your fridge. What was that? Like Say the again? your fridge, chopping all the, <laughs> just chipping this shit out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have one more discrepancy since we're on it. If they had put Lila down in the freezer after she died, why was she so decayed? <laughs> Wouldn't she have been preserved? Well, it's the same as Barca. They may, they may not have put her in the freezer right away. Like, they had to let her turn and Burn. be gross for a while. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they were busy. They had other shit to worry about. I mean, they got people <laughs> trying to burn the, blowing up the fucking CRF. They got 
more shit to worry about than dead Lila down in the fucking basement. Yeah, let her fend for herself. <laughs> let her yeah. wander around there. Well, I agree. They would have, you know, taken her out of the thing with Barca and put her right down in the freezer, right? Oh, <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. You know, the truth is, it's like, you're, you know, you're asking like a bigger question because when you think about it, why do walkers initially look pretty? Like, I mean, look at the Fear the Walking Dead episode. Why do they immediately look gross? Like the people in the elevator shaft in Fear the Walking Dead. It should Dead. take time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, however, it should take time to look like that. However, I'm, I'm starting to think that because of their death, let's say, because they have to die to reanimate, mm-hmm. that the gases inside their body have to make their way out in whatever the way they do. Maybe it goes by way of the face head and the eyeballs and the whatnot and the and the thin. And there's no more there's no more blood flow. Right. So yeah. things get sunken in, mm-hmm. fluids start releasing themselves and... If we didn't have gross. blood pumping through our veins, we would be a very different color yeah. than this. And we'd be able to see the bony <laughs> outlines and whatnot, probably. So maybe that explains a lot of that, too. <laughs> and her being in a freezer. Yeah, yeah. Well, the gooey stuff just gets hardened on the outside or something. I don't I don't know. Or, or finds its way out eventually in a different way. I don't know. Such minor beef, though. Yeah. These are the things that enter my brain. Well, you, always, you asked a question that I'd always kind of really wondered about, to be honest with you. So, you cool. know. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Now I get to address it messily. Yay. Digging like, the bullet out of Dennis. We didn't really talk about that. There's not really much to talk about. Mm. Although it happened. I will note that he never dr- takes a swig of that alcohol. Interesting. Not He's an alcoholic. That's not interesting at all. He's a very strong man. But you'd think like also in the apocalypse, that's not good. That shouldn't be a big problem. And yet, and yet he's concerned with it. It's very interesting. If you're, it, uh, the state to, of the world doesn't matter. Talk to Senior about that. Yeah. Ugh, yikes. I don't, I don't think the state of the world matters if you're an alcoholic. You carry that with you every day, no matter what's going on, and it makes Dennis that much stronger for turning it down. <laughs> it makes his abs that much more impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, mean, maybe his willpower. Yeah, his willpower. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, of course, yeah. His ab power. I mean, willpower. <laughs> yeah, I, I, being determined not to make those kinds of mistakes again also. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a clear reminder. Well, or possible. Take just one sit and fall down that hole again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it ruined his and marriage. And he just got Jennifer back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he just got Jennifer back. He's not risking it. Yeah. I mean, what what is the first thing that gets him on on the road to that recovery is Silas, to be honest with you, though, a little bit. And maybe seeing Hug we, the first time, sure, in a long time, but still. Because he gives the bottle to Silas. Yeah. So I, and even then, I'm like, ooh, uh-uh, don't, no, don't do that, no. <laughs> He's not good with that shit either. He passes out no, he and can't. wrenches people. Oh, wait, no, never mind. Yeah. That didn't happen. <laughs> he can't handle his liquor either. Don't give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> Silas is a fun drunk, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He seemed pretty happy. Uh, until something destroyed his life and traumatized him, Huck. And he, yeah. But yeah. speaking of, he does kind of backward, backwardsly forgives her to Dennis. So it's that kind of is an interesting resolution when we thought, when I thought he might have at some <laughs> point messed up her world. <laughs> it's the only way well, I can put it. What's a worse situation to be in? To be blamed for killing someone or to be killed? Yeah, to be killed. Because Huck could have killed him. Yeah. Huck could have killed him. Yeah. Could have killed Silas. But instead, she just blamed a murder. On him. Well, I like I like that what he says. He says I. I says she was just thought she was trying to save the world, you know. And yeah, I don't blame her for yep. that. Not really. I mean, if I was dead, I'd blame her for that. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be. Oh. 
I mean, we could always talk about more shit, but there's, there's really nothing to talk about. You know what this is, right? We touched it all. This is gross. We got our <laughs> sticky fingers in there all Ew, over We got our Lila. And- gross. Anyway. <laughs> No, this is this is us saying like, oh, we don't we don't want this to end in a way. It's it's the truth. We don't want this to end. It's really weird being here from the start to finish. I'll feel that way more next week. It'll yeah. be hard to sign off next week. <laughs> yeah, but you know, with that, I will say it's been so far. It's been such a great ride. I I I have high hopes for the episode with Charity. We'll promptly watch after this breakdown because I <laughs> we've kept her waiting long enough. <laughs> All uh, day. All day. A whole day. I mean, day. I had to wait for fear, and that <laughs> should tell you something. I slept in this morning, so I wouldn't have to worry about finding something to do, so I wouldn't watch the episode. <laughs> oh my god, I've been up since 7am trying to get a lot of shit done before even recording. But, uh, you know, it's funny. As much as... And I, I was conscious of this every time I would complain about this. I really was. Like, as much as I complain, and I'll just speak on my own behalf about all the recording that we've been having to do on in the timing that we've had to do it or attempt to and then all the editing that I have to do and all the clips that you have to do and all the blogging blog notes that you have to do Rachel I mean as much as I complain about it I am so fully conscious of the fact that like when it's all over I'm gonna feel it and it's gonna hit me very hard and uh all the show that we've been privileged to watch I'm glad, but I'm also like, I just, I wish we could slow down. I, and this is the regret that I have. I really wish they didn't do this. I really wish they didn't put do these, put these two episodes, sorry, these two shows back to back. Because I really, really wanted to appreciate them more in the moment, you know, like, like everybody else. And, you know, we, we do our best and we try to give you the show that you deserve and the feelings that we try to experience in the moment so that we can bring these analyses to you, uh, the viewer or the watcher or the listener. I only hope that we did the best that we could. And so moving into the last episodes, you know, the mid-season finale of Fear the Walking Dead and the series finale of The Walking Dead World Beyond, I, I only hope that we we did right by you. And if we have, have it at ratethispodcast.com slash dead and let us know if we did satisfy your hunger and curiosity and give you insights that you can't find anywhere else. Or if you have found them anywhere else, we're better. So but let us know what we got right. Let us know if we got something wrong. But let us know after every episode, including these these Walking to the World Beyond breakdowns. And if you really, really enjoy what we're doing and you want to be on the inside to be in the chat while we record these analyses and to get the unedited episode recordings early uh, so that you can be the first one to hear our, our complaints about these episodes or our praises and the value thereof. Uh, head over to ko-fi.com slash dead and just follow us. You don't have to join a membership tier and you don't have to buy us a coffee to get 30 days of supported back content. It's just a good way to know when we're dropping a recording sesh, when we've dropped early access to episode recordings. It's a good way to know what we're doing behind the scenes so that you can be more involved. And if you do decide to tip us and get 30 days of access to support back content or decide to join one of the membership tiers, we'll know that it's a signal that you want to be invested in our development and that you want to be in on what, we, what we've got going on. Let us know and help us grow. And with that, everybody, I've been your host, David Cameo, and I was joined by Cosmom Zero Die, Rachel Burt, and Sherrod, a.k.a. Blazy Gardener. We're going to see you guys very soon, and we will hold your damn hands for the, for the series finale of The Walking Dead World Beyond. It's been a distinct pleasure. I am very glad we get to, we got to do this from start to finish, and uh, we'll see you in the next one, the final one. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. See you soon.
thank you so much for making it to the penultimate episode coverage of The Walking Dead World Beyond's series finale titled Death and the Dead. And what a breakdown it was. I was joined by Cosmom09, Rachel Bird, Sharon D, aka Bleezy Gardner, and I was David Cameo. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And you ought to thank our survivors here members for this episode at jasmine.iac on Instagram, at whispersuk on Instagram, and at elizajones71 on Instagram. Holla. And, well, let's not forget about our whispers tier members. That would be judith.morton on Instagram, at fanart underscore lindy on Instagram, as well as at aiden underscore atkin underscore on Instagram. And let's not forget about Tyler Philip. Cox on both Twitter and Instagram. He has a YouTube channel called Let's Talk About the Dead, where he interviews some TWD family as well. Hey, and here I am talking about tiers and membership tiers, and what is that all about? Well, that's ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead. That's right, ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead is a way to follow us behind the scenes. You can follow us today without paying a single cent. It lets you know what we're up to, lets you know when we schedule a recording session that you may be interested in attending in the chat, as well as the unedited episode recordings after we're done recording if you can't make it to those chats, so that you get the behind the scenes before and after the show, as well as the dumb things that we say in between that we actually edit out. Now, if you are interested in joining, well, maybe dipping your toe in the waters, you can tip us for $3 and get 30 days of supporter back content, which would enable you to join us in our episode recordings and the chat and weigh in on certain things, as well as download the unedited episode recordings afterwards and a couple of other things as well, like access to certain playlists, you know, and that's yours to keep even after that 30 days runs out, as well as uh, a bunch of other things actually too other play other super secret playlists ringtones backgrounds you get that regardless of whether or not you remain uh whether or not your 30 days of support runs out but if you're really interested in what we're doing you want to be ahead of the curve and stay in the loop and invest in us uh, our future this thing that you love so much what well, you can join at least the walkers tier for as little as a dollar a month because, of course, what is $12 a year? I mean, it's it's really not about the money. It's about telling us that we're worth listening to, that we're worth investing in, and that you want to see us go further. And it gives you so much access to us already. You don't have to join the Whispers tier. You don't have to join the Survivors tier, of which there's only two slots left anyway. But if you head to our page, ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead, it lets you know, uh, and you, you head to the tiers... Uh, the membership tiers, it'll explain everything to you. You will see what the benefits are of joining any one of these tiers. Uh, and so I highly encourage you to do that. It really, really would mean a lot to us uh, to get your input more than anything else. It really gets us closer to that ethos of we are Squawking Dead. I've been your host, David Cameo. It's been such an honor to cover The Walking Dead World Beyond as a series from start to finish. And I cannot wait to record the next episode with you guys. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you so much for rating this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash dead after every episode. It really, really helps. It's free <laughs> and it really engenders uh, eyeballs on our podcast. And we really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing these podcasts. Our YouTube 
videos. Uh, thank you for subscribing to YouTube. Even though you don't listen to our podcast on YouTube, that means a lot to us as well. It's free also and is also a clear message to send to us. I'm trying not to say goodbye. It's really, really rough. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you in the next one. Can't wait.